Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're talking about surplus. Would you say out loud the word surplus? surplus. One more time. Surplus, more than enough. We're talking about more than money. Actually, this series is not dealing with finance hardly at all. We're dealing with your whole life, spirit, soul, and body. We're talking about having more than enough in the area of your spirit, area of your emotions, area of your ideas, your thoughts, more of God, more than enough. Surplus has been defined as having more than is required or more than is needed. Remember, you can't give what you don't have. You can't give which you don't have. If you don't have more than is required or more than is needed, no matter what people want from your life, your children, your spouse, your friends, the world around you, people in need, you can't give what you don't have. If someone comes after you to receive encouragement and you don't have it, you can't give it. Someone comes after you to receive counsel and wisdom and, and to pick them up and you don't have it, you can't give it. You can't give which you don't have. That's why surplus is so important in our life is that we have more than is required or needed over and above, spilling over the top. More than sufficient, excessive beyond, more than is expected. Surplus is a kingdom principle. Jesus taught it clearly with the simple scripture, John 10.10, talked about living a life and a life more abundant. Says, I've given you life, but life more abundant, over and above, not just life, not just more, but more abundant, excessive beyond sufficient abundance. I've given you everything you needed for life. Everything you need for life, Jesus has. You don't have to have lack. You don't have to live in failure. You don't have to live in inferiority. You don't have to live in bondage. You don't have to live in, a, in life as if you will never ever get ahead, never have the things you need to be satisfied in life. That's not the will of God. The will of God is that you might have life and have it more, and have it more abundantly, a surplus of life. There are four different levels that you can live life. Maybe we touch on all four levels at different times. Minus people are those who never have enough. They go through life as a never enough person. You feel sorry for them, you minister to them, you pray for them. You might have a friend, you might have a child, you might have a spouse, you might have a boss, you might have a relative, you might have whatever. That is that kind of a person. They never have enough. They don't have enough emotion. They don't have enough God. They don't have enough prayer. They don't have enough money. They don't have enough time. They don't have enough forgiveness. They just don't have enough of anything. And so they're always taking from everyone just to get by in life. Well, those kind of people could be considered in the crippled category. There's something crippling about their life. Again, you can have great compassion for them, but you need more than compassion. You've got to give them what you have in order to get them out of that minus level of living a life of never having enough. Then there's the plus people. They have just enough. These are good people. They're stable. They have enough for themselves. They have enough money for themselves, enough time for themselves, enough relationships for themselves. They might have one, two, or three best friends, and that's all they need. They have enough everything for themselves. And so they live a life without bothering and other people, but because they are plus people means that sometimes they don't go beyond that to ever spill over the top to other people. It's all really about 
My life was okay. My savings, my car, my house, my friends, my emotions, my spirit. I feel sorry for people that are up and down and splattered all over the place. But as for me and, and my house, I'm okay. Well, that's great. It's great that you're a plus person, but you need to go beyond that to a surplus person having more than enough. Having more than enough means you have enough for yourself, for your marriage. Your marriage is fine. And enough to maybe just reach over and help another marriage. You have enough for yourself to live your single life and to have sufficient uh, satisfaction and sufficient purity and sufficient involvement and sufficient social life. You have sufficient everything. But if you have more than enough, you take that and you help one other single person or maybe two other single people. If you have more than enough, you have enough for yourself and enough for at least one other person. Now ask yourself this question very simply. Are you helping one other person in any area of surplus in your life? Is there anyone that you pour out to in the area of prayer, encouragement, finance, relationship, social life, whatever it might be? Are you lifting anyone? If you're not lifting anyone, pouring, spilling over at least to one other person, you're in the plus category, and I want to move you to the surplus. I want you to begin to think about what you have that you actually should take and pour into at least one other person's life. In our congregation, we have hundreds of new people. On all three campuses, we have now 15 services a week, and so there's people coming in all the time on every level of living. Some of the people attending our services are unsaved. Some are prodigals. Some are religious people with a background that really they don't understand the Holy Spirit or Jesus or the Bible very much, but they're happy with the worship and they come into the building and they kind of look around and think, you know, this is pretty good for me. We have some people that come in that look really good physically. If you look at them, you can never tell there's much wrong. They're kind of happy. Put a smile on their face, shake your hand. But inside, they're all twisted up. Their soul has been slam dunked through a nasty divorce or some abuse or some other twisted life experience or something that they are so bound to with bitterness, resentment. And you have the emotional problems, you have the mental problems, you have some uh, the physical, just the ailment and the sicknesses that come with people, the sick soul. And so people can sit in an auditorium and you would never know that they're a sick soul, that they really need everything you have. And you might just be a stable soul, not sick at all. You don't need to go to Dr. Jesus for much right now. You're a plus person. If we are going to meet the needs of the people, which I believe we are supposed to do with Jesus flowing through us, every person that names City Bible Church as their home church must become a surplus person. Nobody can stay plus only. You cannot live for yourself. You cannot give for yourself, pray for yourself for the rest of your life. You have to at least reach to one other person and pour some life in, or maybe two or three and pour some life in. And every time you come to church, you're looking for the minus person. You're looking for the hurting person. You're looking for someone that just needs a little spillover and a lifting up, and you pour your life into them. Can I hear a big amen? amen? That is what church is all about. Church is not just about me. Church is about You and other people, the unsaved, the prodigal, the hurting, those that just have gone through a crisis in their life right now. How many of you in the last month have gone through some sort of a pretty challenging type crisis in your life? Let me see your hands all over the auditoriums on all three camps. Just lift your hands. How many of you would say, as I come to the house of God, I could use some encouragement even this week. See, you don't know that you're sitting next to that 
nice looking young couple that just smile and hug you and say, yeah, hey, hallelujah, praise God. They got the vocabulary down. Yeah, how you doing? No one, when you ask them how you doing, horrible. I have been through the worst thing you could imagine. And they start pouring out their life right there at the door. It doesn't happen. Most people just say, yeah, oh, good, yeah, fine. Oh, yeah, life's okay. Hey, how, how's things going? It's, it's, it's. We want to be able to spill over on them so much that they might just say, you are so full of a positive mindset and faith for living. Would you just pray for me? Because I've gone through some stuff and I need a little bit of what you have. You can't give what you don't have. If you don't have it, they're not going to ask for it. But if you have it, you can spill over and pray for them. A super surplus person has excessive enough. They don't just help one or two people. They help dozens. They never run out. They have a river. They have an artesian well. They're plugged into Jesus. They're plugged into the Holy Spirit. You would like to just think they're a super extrovert and then they tick you off because they're always so positive. You would like to just think, well, there's something, you know, maybe they're faking it all the time. Maybe there's something, maybe they're mentally off and they don't know how bad life really is. Maybe there's something wrong with their thinking. How could they be so full of faith and life and happiness? And, and then you find out some crisis they've been through and you think, well, wow, they didn't even show that. You find out something else. They say, man, how do they go through that? And still a super surplus person has found the Holy Spirit in a way that flows through them. That's not them. It's not their strength. You live by the joy of the Lord and the strength of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit and what Jesus can do through you. And he lived through you. And it's not just you pulling yourself up. You know how to wait upon the Lord and read the scriptures and get the Holy Spirit moving in your life. Can I hear someone shout? Yes. We need that in our lives. Surplus life begins with a surplus soul. Psalms 45 verse 1. My heart bursts. It's banged. What a great translation. Spilling beauty and goodness. Third John 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Everyone say, just as. Come on, everyone talk to me. Just as. Turn to your neighbor and say, just as. Your soul prospers. Your soul is the measuring stick for every other area of your life. If your soul is prospering, then your whole life begins to prosper. If your soul is shriveled up, your life shrivels up. Surplus people have what I call stretchability. I want you to read this out loud with me. Are you ready? This is our confession. This is from Luke 16, 16, where it says everybody's pressing into the kingdom of God. They're pressing in and they're stretching into the kingdom of God. I want you to read this prayer out loud with me. Everybody, here you go. I am on the stretch with a passion for the fullness of the Holy Spirit to fill me, expand my soul, enlarge my heart, extend my reach, and flow into me and through me like a mighty river. Surplus people desire a surplus anointing. That's what this message is on. The significance of a surplus anointing. Read this prayer with me. Are you ready? Everybody? Here you go. Receiving an abundant overflow of the anointing by the Holy Spirit. Flowing into and through me. I will be filled with all that Jesus is. And all that Jesus does. And all that Jesus wants. I will have a surplus anointing to extend the kingdom of God. We are anointed. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21 and 22. 
Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and has, notice, anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. We're established in Christ, but we're also anointed in God. We're anointed by the Holy Spirit to live a life. We're established and we're sealed. A seal is the seal of authenticity. It proves you to be owned by the person who seals you. The seal of the kingdom of God is the Holy Spirit. The ownership of Jesus in your life has a lot to do with the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your life. How you live your life with that seal of authenticity, how you walk in the Holy Spirit here in the anointing of God. 1 John 2.27 The anointing which you have received from him abides in you. So there's an anointing in me. But many times I don't call it up. I don't let it flow. I don't do anything with it. I don't let that seal really seal me with the ownership and confirmation authenticity of Jesus in my life as I live in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the door to everything. You can't enter Jesus without the Holy Spirit. You can't enter prayer without the Holy Spirit. You can't enter heaven without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the door. It's the door that opens us as we step into that house. We have Jesus. We have God. We have the provisions of the kingdom of God. But the door into that, Jesus says, you know, you knock on the door. Jesus knocks on you. You open the door. But what comes in? The Holy Spirit comes in. Jesus himself doesn't walk in and stand in your life. He does, though, in the person of the Holy Spirit. So when you open the door, Jesus comes in in the person of the Holy Spirit. There are three specific encounters that a person has with the Holy Spirit as we talk about the anointing of God in our lives. Number one, we are to be born of the Spirit. This is our entrance into the kingdom of God. John 3, verse 5 and 6. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. For you to enter heaven, you have to have a new birth, a spiritual birth. Something has to change inside of you. Confession is not enough. Knowledge is not enough. Signing a card on an altar is not enough. Understanding church and God and reading the Bible is not enough. It says in the Bible that the demons believe and tremble. Even the demons know the book. The devil, the devil quoted the Bible to Jesus in the temptation. So it's not knowledge that keeps you moving into the kingdom of God. A person can have knowledge and totally miss Jesus. A person can go to church and never be born again. A person can think in his mind, I understand heaven and hell, but never be born again. If you're born again... The new birth and you changes everything about you. If you've never changed, you've never been born again. Don't let anybody kid you. Don't let anybody deceive you. Don't let the church world take you down the wrong road. Because I'm telling you right now, the Bible says, if you're born again, you bear fruit. You have a changed life. Second Corinthians 5.17 says you are a brand new creation. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things have become new. That's a new person. If you can continue in your old stuff and your old sin and your old bondage and your old everything and never change from it just because you came to an altar or you signed a card or you raised a hand on the service, I'm just wanting you to weigh in with my words this morning. You have to be born again. The Holy Spirit's got to encounter you. You've got to encounter the Holy Spirit. You've got to let go of the past. You've got to put on that new man and you've got to walk in the newness of spirit of faith in Jesus Christ. And if that happens, you are born again. Yeah. 
If it doesn't happen, you're not born again. The religious world mixes this up. Believism and birth. Don't mix it up. It's too valuable. If the Holy Spirit is moving in you, you have an entrance into the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple? Which temple you are? When the Holy Spirit comes into your temple, just like the Old Testament, Tabernacle of Moses and Tabernacle of David and Temple of Solomon, when the Holy Spirit comes into the temple, He sets up His own worship service. There the glory of God comes. The presence of God fills the temple. You are the temple of God. 1 Corinthians six seventeen. But He who is joined to the Lord, notice, is one spirit with Him. When you are born again, the human spirit is intertwined with the Holy Spirit and you become one spirit. And there's a candle that's lit inside of you and you're filled with light. You're filled with life. You're filled with Holy Spirit. You have an encounter. You have an entrance into the kingdom of God. Old things pass away and behold, all things become new. You have a new mindset about living. You have a new heart desire about God. A new heart desire about prayer. You have been born again. That's your first encounter. Your second encounter is you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. After salvation, there's an endowment of the power of the Holy Spirit called the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is very real in Scripture. In the religious world, it's confused, it's dissected and argued. I could care less what other people think about this. I would like to know what the Bible thinks about it. I don't say that in a prideful way, but just in a bold way. What we need in the church today is more of the Holy Spirit, not less. We need more of the Holy Spirit in the believer, not less. Well, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a very real experience that you should be asking for and encountering the Holy Spirit in that manner. Luke 3.16, John answers, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I coming, whose sandals trap I am not worthy to loose. He will, everyone shout, he will, will. baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Those are not some Pentecostal church word. Those are not some denomination that uses just baptism of the Holy Spirit. Speak and tongues. Oh, that's the Pentecostal. That's the Charismatics. Well, you know, Frank, I was raised Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Baptist, and, and Lutheran, and Methodist. And, and, you know, we just don't buy into that doctrine of, uh, you know, baptism, speaking in tongues, and, you know, kind of that Pentecostal thing. Let me tell you something. The Bible knows nothing about the Pentecostal denomination, the Baptist denomination, the Lutheran denomination. The Bible only knows that when Jesus came, he brought the Holy Spirit, and he baptized his people, no matter what your flesh is, the Holy Holy Spirit falls upon all flesh, all gender, all race, all people, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. They get a spiritual language and they move on in God. You need to open your heart to what the scripture says, not what your background, your denomination, your tradition, or your fear. Just look at the Bible and say, Jesus, I want everything you have for me. Come on, shout me down a little bit. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. I was raised Baptist. I know that there are times when people have never even taught this. I was 17 years old before I even knew there was a baptism in the Holy Spirit. 17. Never heard anything about it. 17 years. But when I heard about it and I asked for it, I got it. 
I didn't get it as a Baptist. I didn't get it as a Pentecost. I didn't get it as a Jesus freak. I got it as the all flesh in Joel when he says he will pour out his spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. I'm part of the all flesh people that receive the Holy Spirit of the living God. And you're part of the all flesh. There is no other background to look at. Just look at the scripture and the kingdom culture and say, I need the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 verse 5, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, you know the scripture, verses 1 through 4. Wind and fire came in to those first church people, the first church. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized and spoken spiritual language. Acts chapter 8 in Samaria, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoken spiritual language. Acts chapter 10, house of Cornelius, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Acts 19, the Ephesian believers, when Paul said, have you guys been baptized in the Holy Spirit? They said, we haven't even heard about the baptism. We were baptized with John's baptism. What are you talking about? Paul says, you've never heard about the spirit baptism? No, we've just done John baptism of repentance. Is there something more? Paul says there is. And it says in Acts chapter 19, he laid hands on them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied and began to move in the Holy Spirit. Some of you are just like the Ephesian believers. If someone would say to you, have you been baptized in the Spirit? I didn't even know there was a baptism in the Spirit. Or I did hear about it one time. And then I would say to you, let us lay hands on you and pray for you that you might be baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, and receive a spiritual language. If you want to know if we're a tongue-speaking church, the answer is yes. Yes. I speak in tongues. I don't force you to speak in tongues. But I'm telling you right now, it is our doctrine, and I believe the tongues is part of what you have as a provision. If you buy the shoes, the tongues come with it. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know why I preach this way? Again, I was 17 before anybody ever preached it to me. Then when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, my whole Christian life changed. I've never gone back with that. That power and that endowment upon my life changed my entire life. And I believe it is for the believer to change your life, to empower you, to, to fill you with a, with a dunamis that the Bible talks about. It's a marvelous thing. Number three... Not only are we baptized in the Spirit, the Bible also talks about we can be filled continually with the Spirit. Now, I understand and you understand the routines of life can drain us, the challenges, the valleys, the dry periods, the wilderness times, times when we just get away from the Word and the Spirit and we just kind of dry up inside. We don't really have a river or a flow and we need to be Filled with the Spirit. Again, not baptized in the Spirit. I believe that's the, your initial experience that opens up the Holy Spirit in you with your spiritual language, your baptism, baptismal to be dunked into and brought back out. To be filled means it just pours into you what you need. Right. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled. Everyone say, be filled. Be filled. With the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart. In the Greek, this is a, an imperative command, which means, and it would read, and be filled and keep on being filled. That's how it would read. Filled and keep on being filled. Oh, by the way, be filled with the Spirit and keep on being filled. And by the way, if you're not filled, get more because you can keep on being filled. 
If the enemy comes and bumps your glass and some of it spills out and you lose it in a trial or a crisis and you're kind of living the minus life or just the plus life and you're not really overflowing and full of the Holy Spirit, my word to you this morning is be filled and keep on being filled. Come into the presence of God and be filled and keep on being filled. And you know what? There is a connection to this and worship. Be filled, Paul says, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's something about worship that every time you come in your private devotion or in a corporate church service, you can come into a worship time where you can begin to sing. You might feel dry, feel discouraged, feel out of it. But as you, through faith, begin to lift those holy hands to God and begin to sing some psalms, which is the history of the grace and covenant God that we serve, and the hymns, which is a history of what God does in people's life, and spiritual songs, which are like prophetic words coming right now to us. The songs we sing that people write can be like prophetic words coming right now to us as we sing. All of a sudden, you start getting filled with the Holy Spirit again. You start getting encouraged. Why? Because the Holy Spirit in you is drinking in the presence, drinking in the Word, drinking in the anointing of God, and before you know it, singing and worshiping has given you a little bit of a refreshing in life. How many can say amen to that? It's awesome to have the Holy Spirit touch your spirit. In Acts 4.31 it says, and they were all filled. This is after Acts 2 when they were baptized. They prayed again in Acts 4.31 it says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The place was shaken. All right, let's give some definition to the anointing. Because I'm, I'm really wanting to push the one point. You're saved, Holy Spirit. You're baptized, baptism dipped in and come back out with a new river. You're filled continually as you need it. And you're anointed in those fillings and for special times to do special things. The anointing is a very special slice of understanding about the Holy Spirit. Let's read some definitions. Hope you take these down with a scripture or two. Number one. The anointing is a spiritual empowering. An outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon you, the blood-washed believer, that consecrates you to God, equips you with the Holy Spirit. The anointing is a spiritual empowering. It comes upon you in a way that prepares you and equips you to do something in the kingdom of God. Exodus chapter 29 All the priests first had to have the application of the blood before the anointing oil was put on their right thumb, their right toe. That anointing oil representing the Holy Spirit as it's put upon us to do the work of God. But first, we need to understand the encounter with the Holy Spirit, the filling, and then that anointing comes upon us. Number two, the anointing is a transfer of authority, power, and honor that breaks the power of spiritual bondage. It's a transfer. That transfer can take place through the laying on of hands. That transfer can take place supernaturally, sovereignly by the Holy Spirit just coming upon you. That transfer can come upon you with anointing when you're anointed for a particular service or office or ministry. You're set in to do something by the Holy Spirit to accomplish something, to achieve something. There comes with that some honor. There comes with that some authority. There comes with that something that's awesome. First Kings 19, verse 16 and 17 It talks about Elijah and what he will do uh, in giving his mantle and what happens when he 
transfers the honor and the authority he has upon that next young prophet. In 1 John 3, 8, it says, when the anointing comes upon you, it'll do the same thing it did that the apostles taught. It will destroy the works of the devil. It has authority in it. In Acts chapter 10, 37 and 38, it says, Jesus was anointed and he went about doing good, healing all those who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. When you're anointed, there is something that comes as an unction, another word for it. As you pray for people and move in the authority of the Holy Spirit, when you understand the anointing, you will break bondages. You understand the anointing, you will go after situations that you feel anointed to do, whether it's in the area of witnessing or in the area of business or in the area of ministry, you go after it because you feel you have an anointing for it. Number three, the anointing is a fresh touch of the power and influence of the Holy Spirit that totally permeates and saturates your whole life. Oh, that God would permeate and saturate the life of every person listening to these words. Psalm 92, verse 10, I have been anointed with fresh oil. Psalms 133, the oil that runs down from the top of the head to the bottom of the feet. A fresh oil, a touch of the power that permeates and saturates my life. I was born in the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, and am being filled with the Spirit so that I can move in the anointing of the Spirit, continually being permeated and saturated with the anointing of God. Number four, the anointing is the dunamis in action. The strength and might. The word dunamis is the word power in Acts chapter 1. And when the anointing comes under, there's power. There's the strength and might to take dominion over the enemy. To exercise the authority of Christ. To establish God's rule and build Christ's church. Man, that's a great definition right there. If we, the church, would take that right there as the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that we have the strength and might to take dominion, not in ourselves, but in the power of the cross and the power of the Spirit, to establish God's rule and to build Christ's church. We've been anointed. Luke 24, verse 49 says, We have been endued with power from on high. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power, dunamis, the ability to establish the kingdom of God. Number five, the anointing is a specific divine enablement given by God to an individual or group in order to accomplish a specific task. You have an anointing upon you for a specific task to fulfill in life. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. There needs to be a pouring out of that anointing upon every individual to fulfill the call of God in your life. Everybody has a call of God. Everyone has a gift. Everyone has a destiny. Everyone has a reason to break other people out of bondage. The anointing of God should come on you to break your own bondages. The anointing of God should fill you in, a, in, in such a way that you would have the ability to break out of the past and to break everything that's inside of you and off of you so that you might go after the enemy's work on other people's life because it says in First John 3, 8, we can destroy the works of the devil. Well, it takes the Holy Spirit to do that, and we can do that. Now, here's my prayer for you today. Surplus anointing is yours to have. What do you need to do in your own personal life? I, I think these would be practical and real for you to do. Number one, I want you to stretch. Spiritually to stretch is to go beyond all points of limitation so as to go from one level to another. You have to stretch in your spirit. To stretch means you have a desire. You have a faith. You're breaking out from the old. You're getting rid of your lukewarmness. To stretch has something to do with passion. 
To stretch has something to do with change. To stretch has something to do with I realize I need more and I want more of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and I'm going to go beyond my limitations and I'm going to break out and I'm going to accomplish what God wants for me. Stretch, Isaiah 54 verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent, your life. Let them stretch out the curtains of their dwelling. Do not spare, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. Matthew 12, 13, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored as whole as the other. And this is my word to you, Matthew 12, 13. Stretch out your life. Just stretch out your life. Say, Jesus, make me whole. Jesus, expand my soul. Jesus, fill me with the Holy Spirit like never before. God, let me shake off all the dead wood of yesterday. Lord, I, I stretch into the future. I meant to live on a higher level and I'm putting my life in front of you right now and I'm stretching out. Number two, you need to reach toward that which God has for you. Push ahead into what you passionately desire. More of Jesus, more of God, more of the kingdom. But all your callings and your dreams and your vision, you need to just reach. I find this to be an interesting scripture. Second Kings 6, 7. When they passed the mantle from the Elijah to Elisha, he threw the mantle toward the young prophet. And it says in 2 Kings 6, 7, Therefore he said, Pick it up for yourself. These are the words in the Bible. Pick it up. I want you to say out loud, Pick it up. Pick it up. Turn to your neighbor and say, Pick it up for yourself. Come on, pick it up for yourself. Pick it up for yourself. And it says, So he reached out his hand and took it. God is throwing something toward you this morning, and I'm saying to you, pick it up. God is asking you to receive something. I'm saying to you this morning by faith, reach your hand out and take what God has already given you in the kingdom of God. A mantle is coming upon your life. Reach out and take it. Number three, I want you to press. Press ahead. Push into what you passionately desire. Number four, I want you to ask. I want you to ask. Respond by seizing the opportunity that is presented before you by asking with faith and expectation. There's there's a powerful thing just for you out of the innocence, integrity, and simplicity of heart to say, Jesus, anoint me. Just that in itself. Jesus, fill me. Oh God! Come upon my life. There, there's something about that that God says, and I will, I will respond to you. I want you to break through. An actor instance of breaking through an obstacle with sudden advancement. With sudden advancement. And I want you to thirst. Desperate for God. I want you to thirst. Wherever you have been, I want you to kind of bring your thirst level up and say, you know, I... I really need more of the Holy Spirit, but I haven't asked forever. Then you need to decide to redig your well, starting right now. Redigging your well, John 7 37 says, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Throughout the Bible, especially Isaiah 12, talks about the well of salvation. There's a lot of scriptures about the well, but you have a well. And the enemy comes along and throws in rocks and all kinds of debris and deadness and tries to squish it down like it says in the Bible. He tries to quench the spirit in you. I want you to redig 
your well this morning. One, remove anything that quenches the Holy Spirit. Doubt, unbelief, sin, hardness of heart. Only you can bring it out. I want you to resist the attack of the enemy that's trying to quench your life. Resist it. Come back against it. I want you to redig your well even when you're in a valley. You know, I don't feel like it. I got so many things pressing me down. Okay? What a great time to dig your well. I want you to redig your well in such a way that it will spring forth. Numbers 21, verse 16 and 17. Gather the people together and I will give them water. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, a well. All of you sing to it, Spring up, a well. And they began to sing to the well, Spring up, a well. Oh, spring up, a well. All the nations singing to the natural for a supernatural response. And the supernatural began to break that well open and they had water for them in the natural for three million people. It was a supernatural thing. And I want you to sing to your well today. I want you to say, spring up a well. Oh, spring up a well. Come on, spring up a well. I'm singing to this well. And you just begin to sing to that well and say, spring up. I'm leaving the past behind. I believe for a new anointing. Oh, spring up a well in me. I am meant to live on a higher level. Spring up. Oh, well, I'm meant to be a surplus person. Spring up, oh, well. I'm going to overflow on people. Spring up, oh, well. Can I hear a hallelujah out there? You got to spring up. Spring up. Be anointed.